0: Hey everybody, welcome in. David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. These 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the super stud cast. We step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller, as we welcome the stud into the show, stud, big news again this week. It's all about that big YouTube channel.
1: What's going on with you stud? Oh, Jace, man. Just a uh, great man up in the mountains here. Uh, beautiful. Big, uh, got a little, uh, you know, a uh, little waterfall in my backyard here and wow, it's pretty nice, man. Can't, nice to be back in Tennessee. I guess that's a good way to put it back home again. And enjoying it you know down in the panhandle not
0: not the panhandle down in central florida where you where you once were we could sit on your back porch and we could watch the fountain outside and and late in the evening there would be a nice breeze in the middle of the day it's like oh yeah we can't sit out there very long it's not much like that up in the great state of tennessee
1: Uh, well you know it it may get that way in another month or so but for right now no you know um it's a it's pretty nice. Uh, mornings are real cool. Uh, yeah, afternoons are, you, are nice, actually. What so, are your
0: overnight l- lows, like in the morning when you get up?
1: Oh, most of the time it it may be in the 60s uh, and uh, in the early mornings. and you know And uh, we get uh, this time of year to maybe uh, 80 sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, we're kind of avoiding that 90 stuff, which is uh, good. Uh, we're going to get some of that probably in July, August. Yeah. But, uh, it's like being in the mountains, uh, every day is totally different here and the, and the landscape changes with every day because they call these the smoky mountains, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. crowds just come and go, man, they sit in the valley and then they crawl to the top of the mountain and then they drop back down in the valley again it's uh it's a pretty place to live, nice nice spot to I'm live. No doubt
0: and and 2 or 3 years in a row when we would take vacation a number of years back we would it seems like it would always be around the 4th of July which is really hot here in South Alabama but we would ease up into the mountains and it would be a little bit cooler but still plenty warm but if you went all the way up to the highest point in Tennessee which is not far from where you are Clingman's Dome right you could really tell i mean there would be like a 15 degree difference or more so it was really cool up on the mountain but warm down down in in the foots, I I guess you would say.
1: Yeah, in the foothills, yeah, it kind of yeah. gets warm in the foothills. But man, you you get up there seven thousand feet. And yeah. Yeah, it's a, it gets kind of cool. In yeah. fact, you better take your coat when you go up there, even in July, because you oh, never yeah. know you might need it. No doubt. Know? No. Hey, I know no, you're that's where old me. Brutus. That's where old Brutus was hanging out, man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you're glad to be back uh, in homeland in old stomping ground, and that's that's pretty awesome. And listen congratulations because hundreds of new subscribers have already saddled up this past week at youtube.com Southeastern rewind. And when they did, I hope they also rang the bell because that bell icon is a pretty cool deal. Stud. It's a reminder for everybody that kind of keeps them up with what's going on with, with you on the YouTube channel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is a, it's a nice little thing, you know, uh, Basically, what happens is you subscribe and uh, you join the studs new ride, and uh, and and then you ring my bell. Well, you know, when you subscribe, <laughs> there's the bell, and I'll ring that bell, and then every time something new goes up on the channel, I'm gonna ring your bell. You know, I'm gonna let you know what's know about it. So uh, yeah, it's 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 gonna be a very interesting little deal.
0: Yeah, there there could be a restraining order coming for you at some point if you ch- keep ringing my bell. All right. As uh, this YouTube channel continues to grow, it is going to transition into your official homestead, and that's where fans are going to be eventually be able to saddle up whenever they want right into all three of your tremendous 1980s wrestling
1: companies. Right on. I mean, that, that's exactly what's going to happen, and, uh, and they're going to all three be there, the original TV shows with all the great talent of the 1980s, well, will be a part of that. And, uh, and the best part about it, Dave, is uh, something I don't think that maybe has ever been done before uh, on YouTube uh, with wrestling companies is all three of these companies' TV shows are going to be uh, built in sequence. And it's just like they were produced 40 years ago. So that you'll be able to follow the storyline, uh, which is really important with, with Southeastern and with the companies that I ran, uh, the Booker's and... Uh, and the people that took care of that stuff they they kept this storyline going and uh and you can really follow the storyline of my uh studcast uh super Studcast uh rewind man uh and uh it's going to be really really i think interesting for them I think it'll be maybe the only place on YouTube where you can watch old school t v shows uh in the same sequence as as they were aired forty years ago
0: yeah that that's cool and and if you just want to be real nostalgic. Set it up and plug it in at one or two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. You'll feel like you're really there. (laughs) And Ron, that applies for all three of your wrestling companies. The original TV shows from Southeastern Pensacola with host Charlie Platt, Les Thatcher, and Rick Stewart. The original TV shows of CCW Continental Championship Wrestling with Gordon Soley. And the very rare gem of yours, your last wrestling company in 1988, USA Championship Wrestling with the legendary Gordon Sully.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm very excited about this, Dave. Uh, It's going to take a little time to rewind all these TV shows, get them all up on the channel, and I hope uh, people will be patient with us. But, uh, you know, I'd like for everyone to do me a favor and uh, please go and subscribe. And it's obviously free. And uh, you can go right to uh, YouTube.com, Southeastern Rewind, and if you've already uh, rewinded wrestling history, i got to thank you. The fact that we had a really big week, our first week of uh, subscribers. So uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, basically what we're doing is uh, we're already rewinding wrestling history, man. We are, we're doing three already original stud casts on that channel already. And two new ones will be added to the channel each week.
0: Um, yeah, and, and you're talking the first three original studcasts, number one, two, and three. They're on the channel, as you said, now, for those that have never heard them, and we're noticing the numbers are ticking up on those. A lot of folks maybe have never heard them or they're just getting refreshers in. And fans that want to rewind the memories, of course, as we said, you can do that as well. Those three start with your grandfather, Roy Welch, and some great stories of how your family found wrestling and the fans found
1: them. Yep. They're entirely new shows. Those two of these are with me each weekday. <laughs> you've been uh, you've been really good. In addition to those those uh, original casts. we do something we've never done before. Even when we put those out the first time, fans can go and listen to them this time. And then they can ask questions. If they have questions about the studcast, uh, they can ask them right there immediately on the site on the YouTube site. And then uh, three days after every episode, we're gonna come back, you and I, and we're gonna d- answer five fan questions about that particular stud cast. Hey, and I love the
0: format. It, it really, it moves along. The question and answer deal stud, That's that's a lot of fun. It just seems like it's bang, bang, bang. And it is a lot of fun. You've been cracking me up and dropping my jaw on a lot of stuff on here. The answers you give to the questions, add something new that you didn't include In the original show, and as I said on the last time we did this, it was a reminder of some stuff I had completely forgotten because I've never missed an episode of any Studcast. There are two new question and answer shows on the channel right now. Two more added every week. Subscribe now. Start your ride into wrestling history with the Stud. All right, speaking of riding, where are we going this week, and what direction? How do we get the horses on the trail, Stud?
1: Well, we're going to introduce fans to a man this week that's going to rock Southeastern, man. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. And he's going to be the subject even in today's training. And this today's training that we're going to do is going to be about the importance of the Booker's decision uh, how to use great talent, you know, to explode his company's business. That's what the Booker's job is. And how to, in this guy's case, decide, even whether you use him as a healer or a baby face. So we're going to move into June of 1977 in this one, uh, with the great card that was on June the 2nd. And we're going to discuss an absolutely spellbinding TV, especially the personality profile that promoted that card. Uh, we'll talk about in this one, a totally unique tag match that steals the show, uh, six nights after the TV gets done. And, uh, we're going to get to, obviously, the results of the card, like we usually do. And then we're going to talk about another big crowd, <laughs> almost as big as the, the the record. So we're going to close with a great learning tree question, asking if my father or grandfather had a positive or negative effect on my wrestling companies, mm. <laughs> which I think that's a very uh, <laughs> interesting question. Oh. Yeah. I know he likes to do it one way. You like to
0: do it another way. So, all right, we'll find out about that. Sounds like another great ride. So, Mister Pickles and I are chomping at the bit. Where to first, Ron?
1: Well, well, I hope you really aren't chomping on the bit. It's okay if he chomps the bit, but uh, you know you got to be careful about that, Dave. You liable to lose a couple of teeth or two, man, on a ride like this today. So,
0: thanks for that note. Okay. <laughs>
1: We're headed into history, man, for a little bit of wrestling education. So let's start with today's training, man. Uh, We're wearing the Booker's hat, but the owner of the territory could also be involved in some of the Booker's decisions, and especially when it came to special talent, guys that are really big-time players, man, that uh, is going to make a big difference in your territory. So uh, in my case, obviously, I'm wearing both the Booker hat and the owner's hat. But my brother, Rob, who's helping me book, uh, he gets contacted by a big name and uh, he comes to me and uh, he, he tells me who it is. And uh, then we have to go, we have to start deciding with this particular guy, whether we're going to make a baby face out of him or a heel. And uh, this big name guy was none other than Joel Duke. Hmm. And uh, we knew he was coming for at least a month before he arrived in Southeastern. And uh, we both agreed that he was definitely gonna make us some money. Uh he was uh, he was a bona fide talent wherever he went. And the question was, is are we gonna use him as a baby face or a heel? And and as a booker, if you make the wrong decision about that, you can dramatically affect everything concerning your talent. Uh, these big guys, you bring them in and put them in the wrong direction, and uh you've killed them rather than made them. So this babyface or heel question was made much more difficult because of Joe LaDuke's size and appearance, man. Anyone that has ever seen Joe Duke would know why I say that. If you've never seen him, his photo's on the website. The Instud, uh, on the gallery there, on the StudCast page. will be on the StudCast page when this program comes up. He's not been there before, but uh, you can go and take a look at Joe Duke if you haven't taken a look at him or never seen him before. So, Rob and I, we kind of making this agonizing and extremely difficult decision about which way to go with him. Just two weeks before he gets there, we're still discussing what are we going to do with this big boy? And, uh, you know, I'd been on many cards with him in 1973 and 74 when I was living in Florida and running West Palm Beach. I was with Joe a lot in the dressing room, and uh, he was a babyface in Florida. But you know, when you looked at Joe, your you, you first thought was this guy's got to be a heel. But so <laughs> so we decided Rob and I to keep him as a babyface. And uh, and when you see him for the first time folks out there, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time to imagine he, that he could be a babyface. And if he was, how would you ever get him over?
0: Oh, for for real. And now in Florida, did he have the same gimmick that he that he would eventually have? As we yep. came to, him?
1: okay, sure yeah, right. yep. we kind of once he came to Florida, he was the same old lumberjack man, he had wow. the same deal,, All right. but you know we changed him a little bit uh right. and you you might have seen him uh as a heel,
0: yeah, I was gonna well, I was gonna say the first time I saw him in the southeastern Pensacola territory and in, in southeast Alabama, specifically in the early eighties he was uh he was a scary heel in a long feud with a very young Jacques Rougeau. So uh, here's the deal. I can't imagine him being a babyface. but now from what I understand, I'm told he was entering the territory in 1980 as a baby face in a long program with the Mongolian Stomper. So he looked like that guy that you would hate to run into in a dark alley, no doubt. So how do you make a baby face out of something kind of scary looking like that in 1977? When he, he really, he really looked like, uh, the brute of a man.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what he was, Dave, <laughs> for sure. It's a good way of putting it, man. Uh-huh. Uh, and I guess the best thing, best thing you could say as a booker, you got to, the only way you can do it with a lot of thought, man, and some angles that's, that's got to make sense, you know, if you're going to make him a baby face. And uh, so he had a lot of things going for him as a baby face though, uh, such as, you know, uh, he was really, uh, really an engaging personality with fans. Fans loved him, man. I mean, they just absolutely loved Joe LaDuke. He was like the lovable lumberjack man from Canada. You know, when he came to Southeastern in 1977, you know, uh, he, he 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 touted his love of the mountains and the beautiful sights and the friendly people, and uh, you know, and he had plenty of trees to use his axe on, man. He was he was just really, really happy there. And he didn't like to just cut down trees. He liked to cut down all those hills too, man. Like Bob <laughs> Orton Jr., Norvell Austin, Mongolian Stomper. And there was one star when he came that was uh, particularly uh, going to have a, a real involvement with him from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, is the key to get making Joe LaDuke a baby face.
0: How, how big was he? How tall and how, what did he weigh in? Any idea? Can you recall that?
1: Oh yeah, he's he's about the six four. He was about the he's close to three hundred. He was yeah. pushing three hundred, yeah. and uh, yeah. wow, he he was built like a wow a fireplug man. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's he, what I remember. Yeah, yeah, he he was he was truly a big dude, but he really he really got over. He really really did, man. I kind of I mean
0: I I kind of get it now. So you're bringing him to southeastern for a specific reason. He's here to get even with someone or something, something like that, right? I mean, what is it?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh we had a story for him when he arrived, and uh he was there for a reason. Uh, you're right about that. That's pretty good, man. You picked up on that right away, man. Uh you know, so uh, so you know these stud casts uh uh, you got to kind of hold on to hold on to Mister Pickles again, like you, like you. He's still raring to go most of the time, man. And uh, you know, I, I studcast to me is kind of like a slow ride, man, so that everybody can enjoy it and understand it. So we'll get to we'll get to your answer soon about exactly why he was there and and what the heck was going on. Uh, and actually, we're going to be getting into it in the personality profile in this very studcast. Joel Duke's going to be the guest uh, six days before he even wrestles his first match. Uh, he's going to be on TV.
0: Okay. Sorry, Ron, but I think Mr. Pickles gets as excited about this uh, as I do about what's coming up. So why don't we hear where we're riding to next?
1: Yo, it's okay, man. Uh, you, Mr. Pickles. I like Mr. Pickles. I've kind of grown, grown fond of your horse, man. Thank you. you sir. Know, and, uh, so no, enthusiasm is great. I appreciate that. Uh, So uh, next, we're going to start riding in the direction of that personality profile, uh, which was on the TV of Saturday, May twenty seventh, 1977. But before we do that, let's look at the card that we're going to be talking about and focused on today of June second, nineteen 1977. Ron Wright opens up this card, and he got himself a win. He'd been out of uh, Knoxville and uh, not wrestled in Southeastern for a while, and he came back last week. And he took care of Bill Dundee, and this time he's wrestling Big Don Lambrick. And Robert, my brother, wrestled in the second match against a guy named Charles Fulton. Bob Wharton Jr. for the third week in a row is meeting Tommy Gilbert from the Memphis Territory. The new Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles, they won last week uh, that really important loser-leave Southeastern Forever match with the Von Tigers. And uh, they're going to be defending their titles against Joe LaDuke and Norvell Austin. So the fifth match was a championship match uh, with no DQ. This is a really a crazy one here. The referee was not going to even be allowed in the ring. He's going to referee from outside the ring. And the only way you can win is by having your opponent submit. And this one is between Bob Armstrong and Jerry Lawler, Southern mm-hmm. Heavyweight Champion. Main event, title match between me and the Stomper, and the winner gets the NWA title shot at Harley Race three weeks later. This one was kind of a strange little uh, clause in this contract, too. If I won, I got the belt, and I got to keep the title shot. And if Stomper won, he kept the belt, and he got the title shot at Race. So wow. big important matches this on on this card. And uh, you know, and then it's the introduction of Joe Duke.
0: Oh, that that is a great card, Ron. So everything was at at stake in your match against the Stomper, it seems like. The Armstrong and Lawler match rules were something I've never heard of or or seen or heard before until you're talking about this. But now I really can't wait to see what's happening on the TV to publicize this great card and find out what Joe LeDuc was really in Southeastern for?
1: Yeah, well, the Friday night before this TV was recorded, Rob and I, you know, we had beat Terry Funk, the Mongolian, in that uh, Texas Tornado match and Texas Death Rules. And, and as big as that match was, the Southeastern Tag Championship was even more important. Uh, it was not only for the belt. Uh, it was a loser leave Southeastern forever. And uh, that's what, uh, you know, we opened the TV with. Uh, Les was running down the show for the day. And when he finished that, the cameras backed away. And there was a huge background set there filled with uh, Mr. Knoxville. He had wrestled him and Tony Charles, the two Von Steiger brothers, uh, in this loser leave Southeastern match forever. And that's what we opened this show with was a picture of Mr. Knoxville. His hand was in the air and uh, Southeastern belt was in it. And Tony Charles was hugging him like he was his best friend, uh, smiling ear to ear. And he had his championship belt in the air. So you we changed it up a bit. Normally, we had those guys there when we opened up the show. But uh, Les opened this one by himself. And then, you know, after Les got the applause from the studio audience, he kind of really turned the fans on by inviting inviting out the new champions with their belts. So everybody in the studio, man, was on their feet and applauding. They loved Tony Charles. And they also loved Mr., uh, Mr. Knoxville. That loser leaves town clause, man, it just made that match tremendously important for the fans. And they were really, really happy that the two guys they wanted to win the match, obviously. Tony Charles was absolutely exuberant about it, man. He was smiling ear to ear. And uh, he could hardly keep from hugging Mr. Knoxville, uh, you know, like they were blood brothers or something. And uh, But Mr. Knoxville on this particular show, seemed a little bit less excited about things than Charles did. So Les invited him, obviously, to have a seat, and then he uh, rolled the video back. Had the director roll the the video back to, uh, to about the last five minutes of that historic match in which they beat the Von Steigers and ran them out of Southeastern forever. And Les invited both those guys to jump in for comments about what was happening on the video. And uh, Tony Charles asked Mr. Knoxville, being the nice guy he was, do you do you want to start? Do you want to do it? And the math, you know, Knoxville never said anything. He was just really silent. So Tony, man, was on fire, man. He'd won his first American belt since arriving in the country. And uh, you could just feel his enthusiasm, man. He began to describe the action. And in the video, Mr. Knoxville was down, about to get beat several times by the German team. And uh, when he finally made the tag to old Tony, the six thousand fans in the building that night, boy, they exploded, and so did Tony on the set, man. Tony, he was on fire, man. He was magnificent in the ring, man. And the, and again, he paused and he he turned to Mr. Knoxville and they gave him the opportunity to, you know, uh, you want to take it from here, you know. And uh, Knoxville said nothing, man. There was a awkward silence, and so. Uh, you know, Tony, man, in the video, though, he's bumping and tossing these Von Steigers all over the ring. He's using all these English tosses, man. That, that's what he called tosses. You know, uh, English, he, he was giving guys bumps, man, that uh, that American wrestlers weren't used to taking. Mm-hmm. And uh, that became Tony Charles's trademark. So, uh, we're still no comment from Mr. Knoxville. Uh, Les picked up the action, and he described the move. And the pin by Tony Charles and Kurt Von Steiger in the middle of the ring, man, that, uh, that won the championship for him. Les had a name for it. I don't know how he had a name for it or whether he had asked Tony previously, what is that hold called, that move called. So uh, studio fans, man, at the end of the match, obviously they cheered as if, you know, they, they hadn't even seen the match before, like they were watching it for the first time. But they had seen probably most of them or maybe all of them had seen the actual match the night before. So those at home, were, I'm sure they were probably celebrating the departure of the Germans, and the, and they were probably ecstatic to have these two guys, Tony Charles and Mr. Knoxville, as their champion. At the end of the match, Les thanked them for joining him, and he sent them to the ring. So there we were, first time uh, as a tag team on TV. They've got the belts, uh, and it was a great way to open the show. All the fans, man, were celebrating the new champions and seeing him right away on TV. Tony was so excited to be a champion. He was, was like a ball of fire in this match. I mean, he he couldn't do enough that day, talking-wise or wrestling-wise. And he was so much on fire that fans might have detected a little bit of something going on with Mr. Knoxville's head. And he was definitely not the not the normal Ronnie Garvin style. Mm-hmm. And Tony got the win. Same move he used to win the the night before and beat the Germans. And and, and, then Ronnie kind of stood back. Mr. Knoxville just kind of stood back and let things happen. Now, both guys came back to the set for the first interview of the show. And uh, they were going to talk about their upcoming championship match the next Friday night with Norvell Austin and this guy that nobody knew anything about. Fans, they'd never seen him, never heard of him before. I don't think any of them had probably ever heard of him before. Mm -hmm. A guy named Joe La Duke. So Tony, he's still on fire, man. Uh, and it's interview time, and he's just excited, man, about this first title defense. As he, you know, and he took the first part of the interview, and he said they were both familiar with Norville Austin, but he had never heard of Joe La Duke. Talking to Les, you know, and said, "I don't know this Joe Duke," but he added, you know, but it really doesn't make any difference because we're the champions, and we're so proud of it, and uh, we're we're looking forward to defending the championship next friday night so les had already offered uh, mr knoxville opportunity to talk so so he felt like he needed to ask him something about this so he asked him you know well, what do you what do you think mr knoxville mr knoxville responded for the first time uh since he'd been seen on the show that day and he asked less very seriously you know he didn't answer the question he asked his own question he said uh why is Joe Duke here and in this match? <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, that was kind of, you know, that was a little odd. So, uh, so Les responded, Joe Duke is a very famous Canadian wrestler from Montreal, Canada. And he said, Ronnie Garvin, you know, Ronnie Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, he goes, uh, right. that was his home. Right? So he, okay. He's still okay. covering for the fact that he's, he's got the hood on, right? He's wearing a mask and, uh, and, you know, and, uh, they, you know, and he says, you know, uh, heck, uh, you know, Southeastern's constantly bringing in this great new talent from all over the world. And uh, Joe Leduc, he's definitely one of the best wrestlers in the world. And mm-hmm. then he asked Mr. Knoxville the obvious question. He says, uh, d- don't you know him? <laughs> you <Wow>. know, <laughs> you're a Canadian, same city. He's a Canadian wrestler. And uh, so Mr. Knoxville said, uh, really kind of nasty, Les. He says, uh, that's none of your business. Uh oh, he, he says, "Uh, I want to know who in southeastern wrestling is responsible for bringing Joel, La Duke here." Uh, <laughs> so uh, now Les is just as surprised as Tony about this reaction. Tony don't know what what is this all about, unless either. So Tony kind of just uh, breaks in in the conversation, and he and he asks Mister Wrestling. He says, "Uh, wait a minute," he goes. Well, why did you tell me this morning when we saw the card for next Friday that uh, you you had never heard of Joe LaDuke, just like me? You know, he said, you know, and then he says, especially since he's from your hometown of Montreal, Canada. Mr. Knoxville just, he never spoke another word. He just got up and left the set uh-huh. without a word. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Tony followed him. Tony's still trying to talk. Wait, 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 tell me about what's going on here. So Les was, you know, confused as everybody else was, you know, what, what's this all about? Les said, Hey, you know, uh, please everybody stay tuned. He goes, you know, we got Joel, LaDuke, uh, it's his first time ever here. He's never wrestled even, uh, we got him on today's personality profile and that's going to be coming up later in the program. <laughs>
0: We're going to call you the president of Swerveville. Rod. <laughs> wow. So you're the booker on this. And you got everybody going now. So, all right. So who is Joe LaDuke? It's a great way. This is no doubt is a great way to introduce a new and literally huge upcoming star to Southeastern. All right. So again, you never cease to amaze us. I'm more interested now than ever in this upcoming personality profile. Let's get to it. Come on.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, man. Uh, you know, but uh, that you got to drain in on Mr. Pickles again, because we're not really through with the, with a let's get to the the next segment of the show and uh, then we're going to get to the personality profile. I'm going to give you and Mr. Pickles your answer That's for darn sure today, you know? So, so I got Tommy Gilbert who is a becoming a star over there in the Memphis territory. He's been coming for two weeks, Russ and Bob Wharton twice in a row in the Coliseum getting beat by Bob Wharton twice in the Coliseum in a row. And he's on the card against Bob Orton Jr. again the following Friday night. So I put him on on TV so that he can get a win, so that he it'll make him more meaningful on this card that's upcoming. And uh, Jerry Jarrett and I, at this point, we've been swapping a lot of talent because uh, Jerry and my dad uh, were owners of the Memphis Territory, and they're in a war at this point when Nick they- Goulas, who is uh, basically the promoter out of Nashville and Birmingham and Chattanooga, and he wants to get into Memphis at this point. So uh, Jerry, and I'm supporting Jerry some, and he's he's helping me too by sending me talent. So Bob Wharton Jr. and Tommy Gilbert, plus Bob Armstrong and Jerry Lawler, who own this same upcoming card, that's two pairs of guys that have been working programs, not just in Memphis on Monday nights, but in Knoxville on Friday nights. And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, that's pretty ben- beneficial for both Jared and I and my dad. So uh, Bob Orton Jr. joined Les at the set. Uh, he's going to be wrestling against Tommy Gilbert, who's in the ring. Orton, uh, Orton went the match start. Orton just started cutting poor old Tommy Gilbert, uh, who was not a big guy. He started cutting him to pieces, man, with the commentary. At one point, I think the way he put it was, uh, you know, he told Les, he's a 180-pounder. He's got no wrestling skills, and he has absolutely no chance of ever beating me. You know, It's like, what am, we, what am I doing wrestling him for three weeks in a row? So at the end of the match, Tommy Gilbert get his hand raised, obviously. And uh, Orton, I guess, didn't like what happened, and uh, so he just uh, left the set. He slid right in the ring behind old Tommy, and uh, he blasted him from behind, and he put him in his backbreaker. And he he held him there long enough that the referee was so angry, you know, uh, it was really, really, everybody could tell. It was Orton's style, man. He wanted to get the heat any way he could. And then he ended up, when he couldn't keep him up there any longer, the ref was trying to actually pull him off his shoulders, he dropped Gilbert on his head. So uh, Orton Jr. made the second interview. During that interview... He oddly asked Les the same question as Mr. Knoxville had asked in the interview before. (laughs) He asked him, uh, who at Southeastern decided to bring in (laughs) Joe (laughs) LaDuke? So, so, you know, the, the video of that Tommy Gilbert match, it was shown the next Saturday on TV, 400 miles across the state of Tennessee from Knoxville to Memphis is almost 400 miles. That match that just happened was shown on Memphis TV. And on the Monday night, two days after they showed it over there, Bob Wharton Jr. Uh, was over there in Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis against Tommy Gilbert. The same thing was going on weekly between Bob Armstrong and Jerry Lawler in hmm. both Knoxville and Memphis. Wow.
0: All right, so that had to be very effective for both companies. Your stars got big wins in Knoxville over his big stars and
1: vice versa, in Memphis. Right, absolutely. Well, we, we both did benefit from it greatly, man. And uh, actually, we didn't benefit in just those two cities because their televisions were being uh, taped at this point. Everybody was starting to tape shows by 1977. And uh, that they sent their tapes to their other big cities. The Louisville, Kentucky was one of those cities. The Evansville, Indiana was another one of those cities. And uh, my shows were going into Johnson City. They were going into Hazard, Kentucky. Uh, So uh, I was sending Orton and Armstrong over there for them sometimes two days in a row. They'd work in Memphis on Monday night, and then they'd stay over, get a ride, catch a plane, whatever, get to Louisville for Tuesday night. And uh, in return, uh, Jerry Jarrett was sending me Tommy Gilbert uh, at this particular time and Jerry Lawler. On Friday nights in Knoxville, and then they would stay over and wrestle Saturday night in Harlan, Kentucky. Wow! So you, you had
0: a couple of guys that were wrestling in two of the biggest markets in Tennessee on a consistent basis: Memphis and Knoxville. Orton, Armstrong;
1: those guys were making some pretty good money. Yeah, they were. They were leaving there. They were happy to do that. Man, Memphis is drawing. Uh, it's a big city. It's a hot wrestling town. It they was drawing a uh, six, seven. Sometimes uh, it was a bigger building. I wish I'd have had the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum in Knoxville. We could have drawn eight or nine, 10,000 people. And sometimes they'd put in eight, mm-hmm. 9,000 people. So, uh, you know, it's a good deal for everybody, man.
0: So it's kind of cool to get a wrestling education from you, uh, especially like this on how it worked back many years ago in territory days. It was a fascinating business. It's time for our break but when we return, Stud, are we going to finally get that Joe LeDuc personality profile deal?
1: Yes, we are. Uh, I guarantee you and Mr. Pickles, it's going to be first thing back. <laughs> All right. So
0: I think it was your granddad who would say at the end of the car fights, time!
1: <laughs> <laughs> was it your granddad or your dad? No, that was my granddad, yeah. The old right. car fights back in the 30s, man. Time! <laughs>
0: let's get a break and remind you about Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. It's the Studs' new home on YouTube. Subscribe, like, ring the bell so you'll always get notified of the Studs' next release. The Studcast, this Studcast, will continue. Hold on like a headlock, and we'll be right back. Hang in there with us. The stud has done it again. Super Studcast number 41 with Arn Anderson is still on fire, and he lights up one of Australia's greatest wrestling stars, Superstar Bill Dundee. In part one of Super Studcast number 42, take another fascinating ride into the life and times of a wrestler given little chance of success that turned the wrestling world upside down. At tnstud.com or patreon.com studcast. He arrives in America in 1975 and is still doing it in Memphis 46 years later. From an elephant handler in Australia to selling out 11,000 seat coliseums, his life has been a circus. From a legit shoot with Macho Man Randy Savage to headlining the Studs USA Wrestling Cards in 1988. It's must hear wrestling history at tnstud.com or patreon.com studcast. Only two ninety-nine for what has become classic three hour journeys. No wonder they they call it the best deal in wrestling. Welcome back in. It's another stud cast. David Summers here with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. And don't forget Southeastern rewind on YouTube. It is the studs new home on YouTube. You can subscribe. You can like, you can ring the bell and you'll always know when the studs next release is happening. All right. So Ron, I hope it's time to find out what Joe LaDuke came to Southeastern wrestling for in the summer of 1977 lay
1: it out for us all right my man first though you know let's discuss let's let's break this down uh this personality profile is 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 awesome and uh you know i i think uh, let's discuss the importance of the of uh how critical this was uh before we get into the actual profile itself uh you know, this is we've got a big, huge monster of a guy. Uh he looks like a heel. We're gonna make a baby face out of him. So in this profile, we had to accomplish so much more than just than any other profile we've probably ever done, ever done at this point. And uh, Rob and I actually had Joel Duke uh, in my house two days before this TV, and we spent two hours with him and we sat and talked to him. His question was, how are you going to do this? So we we were prepared. So we gave Joe his story and his reason for coming to Southeastern two days before he went on TV. He had an almost impossible task, looking the way he did, to present himself as a, as a very much a hero-looking wrestler as a baby's face, you know, and especially the the first time the fans had ever seen him, you know, uh, we knew how difficult it was going to be for him. And, you know, he had to get himself over. He didn't have a match to get himself over. He didn't have weeks and weeks to make it happen. He had to get himself over in a five or six minute personality profile where he could only just talk. You know, uh, it, it was really, really difficult. He had to sell himself to everybody as a baby face, even though, you know he would have been the one of the last people you would ever found believable as a baby face. <laughs> he just so you know it just kept getting worse and worse. It seemed like when we were talking to him about things. but uh, you know, he realized that his reason and the delivery of the story of why he came to southeastern was going to be his one chance to do something in an unforgettable way and to touch every fan's heart. So uh, you know, we gave him the story. We thought it was really, really catchy and touching. So we're about to launch at this point, man. Not just a uh, one angle, a single angle, but uh, we're about to launch an angle that's gonna it's going to determine the southeastern future for Joe Leduc. You know, it could be good. It could be bad. You know, a talent like that. Uh, you know, we didn't know, and he didn't know what was going to happen. Actually. So not only that, but this angle—it's going to jeopardize another southeastern star as well. It, it isn't just the Joe LaDuke Duke angle. This is going to—this is an extremely important thing for ha- for the right thing to happen for us. And uh, so we did our best to explain it to Joe, basically, and we we just hoped that he could really feel what the heck he was going to have to do. And after that two-hour session, we had to turn it over to him. We couldn't go out there and talk for him, you know. Two days later, he's got about five minutes, and uh, and it's going to make or break his southeastern future. That five minutes. So it was all a hundred percent up to Joe Duke if he was going to get himself over. So let me set up this live profile. Uh, that's going to be a big part of wrestling history for southeastern. Uh, Les uh, was seated by himself for this profile. It's being done live, right in the studio, right next to all the fans, who just feed away from from Les and from uh, Joe LaDuke. Les gave Joe a big, grand introduction, and he called him one of the most popular wrestlers in the world, which uh, that was pretty well true. I mean, Joe was a tremendous star wherever he went. And uh, so then he invited him to come out and join him. And Joe, for the first time, walked into Southeastern history, literally. man, Uh, he was about six feet four. We talked about, you asked about that earlier. He had a bald head. He had a full beard. He was wearing this Canadian-style toboggan on his head. You know, uh, he had a big old broad chest and shoulders, man. And uh, over that, he had this big plaid red and black kind of patchwork shirt, you know. And it it was open in the chest. And, uh, you know, it had a a hairy chest. He was all man, basically. (laughs) Ain't no doubt about that. And he wore these uh, short uh, denim jeans, you know, that, that covered up his huge thighs, big old legs, and, uh, and the jeans came down not all the way to his feet like regular jeans. They came down just below his knees. He would roll up the bottoms of them, so his, his jeans ended up just below his knees. Uh, he was wearing high-top lumberjack boots covered, by, you know, and his big old feet. My God, he had huge feet too. And for this profile, he comes out and he's carrying this, Shiny new double-bladed axe, man, over his shoulder. I mean, if that wasn't a true lumberjack look, I'd never seen one before in my life, man. But he he looked really, really different, man, for everybody in that area.
0: And so the so the double-bladed axe was legit. It was real.
1: Oh heck, yes, man. He had a big old double-bladed axe. It was brand new too, man. It was all shiny and uh, wow. It, it he he had a crazy. He had a Definitely different look. Well, I was going to say,
0: and, and uh, an un- maybe a unique u- look in wrestling. So, I mean, how did the studio audience react?
1: There was kind of a gasp. <laughs> they were like, you know, uh, there. And then the studio was always packed at this point. Man, it probably was made for like sixty fans, and there was always a hundred, sometimes a hundred fifty, in the studio, and it was packed as usual. And uh, you could tell they'd never seen anything like this, you know. So, and uh, and I knew instantly, right then, how that, that he was going to get over.
0: How do you know that so quickly?
1: Well, I was sitting upstairs on the second level of the building, WBIR Studios, sitting in my normal seat right next to the director of the show, Bill Kincaid. And he turned to me and he asked me what had become a familiar question. You know, and uh, and it kind of became a little phrase almost, uh, you know, that I got this reaction from him every time a new star appeared on the TV show. And, and he turned to me and he says, uh, where did you get this monster, Ron? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <the> monster, okay. <laughs> yeah. Same thing he said, I think, when the Stomper arrived. Yeah, Same yep, thing yep, he yeah. said <laughs> when the other guys came. Of course. You yeah. know, big stars. I knew right then. You know, I, I said, oh, boy. I got exactly what I wanted from Kincaid. I think this boy's going to get there. So Joe and Les they had a short, polite conversation to start with. Then Joe explained how overcome he had been since he arrived in the Knoxville area with the beauty of this part of the world, man, and how friendly the people were, you know. And they had all this little pleasant small talk necessary to make this this huge brute kind of. Seemed like a baby face. And, uh, you know, and and they got that across in the first three, two, three minutes of this profile. Then Les got right to the point, man. So he asked him if he had seen any of the TV shows so far. You know, or in other words, did you arrive here in the studio? Did you see what happened earlier about the remarks mm-hmm. from a couple of guys? Right. And uh, Joe said, uh, no, no, I just arrived. I just got here. I don't know what's going on today. And Les told him about mr knoxville's reaction early in the show you know about uh seeing joe leduc being on the card against him and then he told him about bob orton jr having a similar reaction and he and he so he says to joe uh what's going on (laughs) What what's this all about what's going on between you and uh mr knoxville and uh and you and bob orton jr so joe's entire demeanor changed man uh He'd been real nice and pleasant and all reared back and comfortable. And all of a sudden you could see he, he became uncomfortable and he, he leaned forward in his chair and his voice got kind of low and gravelly. And uh, and he started telling less a story about him and his best friend, his brother, Paul, that wrestled together as tag team had mm-hmm. been wrestling all over the world as tag teams together and uh, how years ago uh, they were competing against the tag team champions in the mid-American area of Kansas City, and that uh, those two guys were two of the most dangerous and dirty wrestlers and hated by the fans, absolutely hated by the fans there. And he described how these two guys purposely broke his brother's neck. One of them, he he told Les, uh, you know, uh, picked up his brother and put him in a backbreaker and uh, refused to let him down. And when he let him down, he dropped him straight on his head. And he said, uh, then he didn't know uh, what actually did this. Was it that maneuver or what happened next? He said, uh, uh, before he could get back in the ring and do anything to help his brother, the other guy climbed up on the top rope and jumped off in his throat. Well, you could have heard a pin drop in the studio. Absolute silence. All right, so Les finally asked, uh, you know, uh, and he knew the answer, <laughs> you know, and so did the fans. Yeah, yeah, but he finally says, uh, "Uh, who are you talking about?" And Joe looked straight into the cameras, man, and he he said, uh, really slowly and seriously, man, "Uh, Bob Orton Jr. and Ronnie Garvin, the guy that's wearing a mask here now calls himself Mister Knoxville. So Les was obviously concerned about what actually happened to his brother. And he so asked him, uh, well, what happened after that match to your brother? And Joe said, my brother almost died after the match. And then uh, he's he's never going to wrestle again because of it. Joe's voice got even lower then. And he leaned over closer to Les. And he said, uh, I- I've been f- trying to find these two guys for years. And he goes, uh, not long ago somebody told me that both of them are down in the south in this territory called southeastern and he says i've waited for years to get even with these two then he reached over and he got his axe it was leaning up beside his chair during all the all the interview so far and he reached and got it right below the head of the blades you know and uh, and uh, and he he, he slowly, man, uh, turned his forearm over and he laid the blade of that axe on the inside of his forearm. And he looked at Les, man, and, uh, you know, and nobody, nobody, nobody but Joe Duke has any idea what's going to happen here. Me, Rob, nobody. People in the studio, Les, nobody. So he looks at Les and he goes, uh, you know, now that I've found them, he goes, I'm going to make a blood as the way he put it is, a, I'm going to make a blood oath, a blood oath to my brother Paul to make both of those guys pay for his horrible injury. And uh, I had no idea what was coming next. Rob didn't, Les didn't, you know, uh, nobody in the studio, uh, no one knew that this was going to be Joe's introduction. But we did tell Rob that we wanted, you know, to, this to be an unforgettable personality profile but we didn't expect it to be this type of unforgettable so, so the director got a close-up of the axe blade on joe's forearm and then uh, suddenly man uh joe just just uh, drove that blade into his forearm and he slowly pulled it across his arm blood started coming out of both sides of the axe and oh, uh, ran man. off both sides of his arm fans in the studio started screaming It's like, oh, my God, what is he doing? And I'm sitting next to Kincaid, you know, the director, and uh, and he had this close-up. And I said, pull up my camera's back. No, don't get a close-up of this. (laughs) you know, uh, know, I'm going crazy, too. Like, God, what is he doing? So Les is shocked like everybody else. And he starts asking, Joe, stop, stop. What are you doing? Les got more serious, you know, as the as the big old lumberjack just continued with it very slowly. He's not going to let up. He's going to cut all the way across his arm, and uh, you know, Les then started screaming, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" <laughs> so you know, it was it was great. Everybody, everybody, anybody watching it could tell, "Wow, boy, this is real." And well, hell, of course, you could see the blood running off. He continued to. Cut his arm until there was a puddle of blood on the floor beneath his arm. And Les finally screamed, Let's go to black. Let's go to black. No. <laughs> he, he knows this is this is this is not what we want here,
0: right? So. <laughs> I mean it's it's 1977. And this is happening on live TV. Yes. So, all right. So uh, I've never seen anything like that on a wrestling show, much less live TV. Talking about making an unforgettable debut. They had to be talking about this person Natalie this personality profile
1: for a while. Oh yeah, man. For for years, you know. So uh what happened is Joe went so far beyond what Rob and I expected him to be able to uh-huh. do. He became a, an instant sensation. When he put that blade to his arm and he started cutting that and giving and doing that blood oath thing, mm-hmm. he just wow. I mean, you know, so and at this point, I was a pretty recognizable figure in Knoxville. I couldn't go anywhere without fans coming and recognize me. Can I get an autograph? And they want to talk to you and have conversations. For weeks after this personality profile, fans kept coming to me, but they didn't want the autograph. They wanted to say, what in the heck was Joe LaDuke doing, man? That's all they wanted to talk about.
0: I mean, were they questioning? Was it real? I mean, because I'm sure it looked real.
1: I mean. What were they oh, saying? What no, they-, they, they knew it was real. I mean, it was so obviously real. I mean, how could you have a real close-up, and you see that blade going exactly. across his inner forearm, and the blood's running off both sides of it, you know, and uh, and it's puddling up down there below it? I mean, there's no way that that's not real, and everybody knew it. And, uh, heck, uh, even me and Rob and, and Les, Les was like, he was so upset. Afterward, he goes, what did you, why did you let him do that? I said, I didn't know he was going to do that, man. Well, <laughs> he I mean, didn't ask me if he could do it. Uh, you know, I said, me and Rob said, we want this to be unforgettable. By gosh, he made it unforgettable.
0: I think that'll work for you right there. So the fans had to be just that shocked by it. So, So how do you follow that?
1: Well, uh, we, we, we followed it. Uh, we had Jerry Lawler on live in the next match. And then he had, we had an interview from him and Bob Armstrong, and then we had Mongolian stomper on live and he had an interview, uh, gorgeous. George uh, did his interview and I was in that match and I did my interview. But, uh, wow, nothing was going to overcome what had happened in that personality profile.
0: yeah. I, uh, you know? I seriously doubt that. I mean, man, you're talking about a, a one hell of a TV show. So I'm sorry, but now uh, Mr. Pickles and I are ready to find out what happened the next Friday night of June 2nd, 1977. That crazy Joe Leduc personality profile must have turned thousands away and had everybody in that part of the country talking about wrestling.
1: Oh, man, they did. They were, they were on fire about it. And uh, wow, you know, I, I felt like, wow, this, I don't know what we're going to draw, man, but it, it's. And if they had known him, uh, it might have been even bigger. But uh, so, but it it was an electric evening. Let's call it that. I mean, the fans came to see one thing that night. They wanted to see that match. So, you know, Ron Wright went out there in the first match, and he beat Don Lambrick. And Rob went out and uh, actually won in about four seconds, drop kick Charles Fulton, and uh, beat him in the almost record time. Uh, Bob Orton Jr. went out there and beat uh, Tommy Gilbert for the third week in a row. This time he put the backbreaker on him again. This time they carried Tommy Gilbert out of there. He wasn't going to be coming back to Southeastern for quite a while. Then came the highly anticipated Southeastern tag championship with the new champions, Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles against Norville Austin. And this crazy Canadian named Joe Duke. Mm.
0: Did he get stitched up? Did he have to have stitches? I'm sure there was some kind of bandage for this, this match.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. He, his arm was, he had his arm wrapped, uh, you know, and uh, I don't think he got stitches because uh, I never saw Joe get stitches, but I saw, I've seen wow. Joe's cuts, uh, you know, I saw the cut. It should have been sewn up and probably a 10 stitches at least, but, uh, he never got it sewed up. He just patched it up and wore a big, thick, uh, wrap around his forearm. Right. And, uh, you know, that's uh that's all Joe did. Joe was, Joe was a tough son of a gun, man. He was in a world of his own.
0: All right. So th- that one kind of stands out and that's the one I want to know about why. And here's another thing. Why was Joe Leduc's partner, a heel Norvel Austin? What, what, how, how did that come about?
1: Well, th- that's a great question, Dave. You know, I mean, uh, it, it really didn't make any difference whether he was a heel or a baby face in a way, uh, you know, he, he was a, still not a bonafide baby face. And, and his whole deal was, and the profile is he's here for a vendetta. He's come to get Ronnie Garvin, mm-hmm. and Mr. Knoxwell, He's come to get Bob Orton Jr. He's come to get even, you know, and the fans weren't sure really how to take him, you know, obviously after they see him do that or what to expect, you know, uh, you know, so, uh, wow, it was, uh, it was pretty amazing, man. He's, he's out there uh, going to get one of their baby faces. He's, he's, he's after one of their baby faces.
0: Yeah, Right. I mean, so Joe LaDuke was still not a bonafide baby face, but was Mr. Knoxville a bonafide baby face? I mean, maybe
1: that's a good question too. Yeah, he he was actually. Yes, he was. That's a good question. He was still a bonafide baby face in this match. So, you know, crazy. Yeah. So, so what happened in the match? Well, uh, you know, just like that TV personality profile with Joe that day stole the whole TV show, this match that night in the Coliseum stole the show there too, man. Uh, uh, Joe LaDuke uh, started for his team and he asked for Mr. Knoxville to get in the ring with him, right? And and Garvin refused, you know, and it wasn't, he got out. In fact, uh, Joe went to try to get him on the apron and Garvin jumped off the apron of the ring, tagged Tony Charles. And that wasn't just the first time it happened. That happened the entire match. It was uh Tony Charles against two guys by himself. And if uh, Norvell was in the ring, Ronnie Garvin would get in the ring. Mr. Knoxville would get in the ring. And if uh, Joe Duke was there, he refused to get in the ring.
0: Uh-huh. All right. So how were the fans reacting on this? When a, when a, a baby face was kind of scared, I guess you'd say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, another good question, you know. This match really freaked people out. Uh, they they never seen seen a match like this. I mean, basically you got you got a lot going on in this tag match. Uh, you got a you got a crazy Canadian guy that they really don't know whether he's a babyface or a heel. You've got a babyface that they've been cheering for a long time and really into that's cowardly <laughs> acting like a coward. I don't know if there was ever another match in the history of the sport. Kind of like this match. So fans, as the match proceeded, they got torn between cheering for LeDuc or cheering for Mr. Knoxville. Right, right. But Tony Charles wasn't torn about what to do. You know, after several times, uh, you know, in the ring with Joe, uh, Joe was pretty much manhandling. Charles, Joe was probably 100 pounds heavier than Tony Charles. And, uh, you know, Tony's doing his best, but but Joe's not healing. He's just grabbing him and throwing him across the ring and doing these things to him makes him look like a little child, so when uh Tony would try to tag out to Mr. Knoxville, Mr. Knoxville, would jumped down on the floor and he wouldn't take the tag as the match progressed. The fans started to turn on Mr. Knoxville uh-huh. they, they were like, "Hey, what the hell man now you, you is this going to go on all night so on the opposite side of the ring, uh, there started to be a problem between Austin and LeDuc because LeDuc, the babyface, and Austin's trying to do his heel thing. So when Austin would get in there with Charles, after Charles was getting worn down, Austin would choke him and punch him and you know, kick him and slam him and, uh, you know, bite him, whatever he wanted to do. And then he'd yeah. come over and tag LeDuc, and LeDuc would just help Charles up on his feet and, you know, say, tag, tag Mr. Knoxville, <laughs> right? So, so, you know, it, the fans get the picture. You know, in the course of this 15 or 20 minutes, after about 15, 20 minutes, the crowd really started to totally turn on Mr. Knoxville. And uh, they started to, to boo him then when he just refused to come in. And, and that's when the finish of this match came. So, LeDuc had his back turned. Uh, you know, to Mr. Knoxville's corner. And he was arguing with Norvell about the way the match is going. Norvell's wanting to beat the heck out of Charles and he's, he's wanting to get his hands on, he's focused on Mr. Knoxville. And uh, while they're having this discussion, I guess uh, Mr. Knoxville saw this as his chance to get it done. And he ran across the ring and attacked LeDuc from behind. He got him down and uh, and he busted him. He had him bleeding and he... He signaled for Austin to come on in here. Get you some of this with me, right? And uh, you know, so Austin, you know, what the hell? He's like, hey, you know, uh, Mister Knoxville's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's turned he's, hes my boy now, right? So, hell, Norvell got in the ring too, and they both started on him, man. And uh, you know, and then uh, pretty quickly they grabbed the Leduc and they threw him over the top rope. He's already bleeding, and uh, you know, throw him off top rope on the floor and then they look across the ring and there's Tony Charles and there's two of them and they go for Tony and they, you know, they, and about the time that they get started on Tony, Bob Warden jr. Shows up at ringside oh, and yeah. he gets oh yeah, putting the boots to Joe Laduke, Duke who's out there on the concrete. Right. So Tony Charles, uh, you know, he's fighting back as best he can, but he can't, he can't fight off both these guys. Plus he's already blown up. He's wrestled the whole match. You know, and, uh, so the, so the ref has lost by this point, the ref has lost control of the match and he just starts ringing the bell. He's, he's going to call this a no contest match, which if there ever was one, this was one of those. And, uh, you know, he went to help Charles, uh, you know, uh, as soon as, uh, as, uh, ordained, uh, put the boots really good to, uh, mm-hmm. to old Joel, the Duke out there on the floor, he just jumped up in the ring and all three of them are beating up uh, poor old Tony by himself and then they uh orton and uh austin they double suplex uh tony and then uh mr knoxville starts up on the top rope uh, okay <laughs> there we go i mean you know uh, it, it, it's really getting out of hand at this point right uh-huh. so Leduc, man rolls back up in the ring and uh and orton's got his back turned to him and Leduc comes over and he nails orton and he, he just grabs him and sends him. He sends him. He don't just throw him out of the ring onto the floor. He throws him into the third row of ringside.
0: And I'm sure and the crowd he, was bored.
1: Oh, it, the crowd popped. <laughs> wow. They were like, geez, look at this, man. What is happening here? They were just now. Oh, they were just, wow, this is unreal. So, you know, and, and there's Austin. He's still holding on to Tony's leg trying to keep him there so that Mr. Knoxville can jump off in his throat. And LeDuc, after he shoots Jordan over the top rope and out into the third row, he comes back and he just steps over Norville Austin's back. Norville don't see him coming. Mr. Knoxville jumps off the top rope. He's flying for the big deal. And uh, big old Joe just grabs him in the air, in midair, man, and power slams him. Wow. wow. That building exploded, man. They were like, wow, what in the heck? You know, so now it was Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and Norvell Austin against Joe LeDuc and Tony Charles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that crowd by then, they'd completely changed their mind about Mr. Knoxville, you know, and uh, LaDuke and Charles were definitely the baby faces. And they drove those three heels to the dressing room, fought them all the way to the dressing room.
0: Wow, that's kind of unbelievable. So, and that's a a crazy match. I mean, you got a heel turn in that. So so what comes next?
1: Well, you know, the the next match uh, after this wild one was a no DQ match. That's the one where the referee was going to be outside the ring and you could only win by submission between Lawler and Armstrong. And uh, Bob won that match. Uh, It was for the Southern Championship. So Bob became the Southern Champion again. uh, They had been trading this belt back and forth, uh, he and Lawler. The last match was between me and the Mongolian Stomper for the Southeastern Championship and the shot at Harley Race. If he won, he got to keep his belt, and he got the shot instead of me. If I won, I got the belt, and I got the win. And uh, in spite of the fact that Gorgeous George Jr. interfered almost the entire match of this (laughs) match, I I won the match. I regained the Southeastern title and I kept my shot for the NWA belt. Wow. Okay.
0: That's, that's cool. All right. So what was the attendance? Uh, This is a tremendous TV and personality profile. So how'd, how'd you do as far as the crowd?
1: Uh, We, well, we did over 6,000 again, you know, and, uh, and we did actually turn away some fans because, uh, in the event that set the record, I had talked the building manager into adding some extra seats and allowing uh, more people in. And after we had that record crowd, the uh, fire marshal started watching us closely. He was showing up every week, and he didn't allow it to get too out of hand. But it was uh, over sixty-six thousand, and uh, and we actually turned quite a few fans away because uh, you know we were sold out, and they weren't going to let anybody else in. So it was. About 200 people maybe shy of that all-time record. So, you know, um, it, it, it did really well, you know. Yeah. What a, what a great evening for us, man. All right. So, what a great stud
0: cast so far, Ron, no doubt. I think it's time for us to take a seat under the learning tree. So, set it up again for us. Remind us what the question was and who, who was the person that asked?
1: Oh, this this question came from a person on Twitter. Uh, a gentleman named Steve Davis, and he asked, uh, did relationships with your father or grandfather's wrestlers help recruit talent for Southeastern? Or did old heat with one or the other results in in guys turning you down? <laughs> Which is a good question, you know. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, both my father and my grandfather were promoters and, uh, you know, uh, and bookers. They had mostly friends, but obviously probably a few enemies. So luckily for my father and grandfather, both of them had good relationships with most of the wrestlers, and not just the wrestlers, but with promoters all around the world. They were pretty well liked, and and my territories did very well. I, I didn't have to do much recruiting, like he asked. Did you know? Did it hurt in my recruiting talent? I wasn't having to recruit talent, man. At this point, you know, and. Uh, As in this stud cast, uh, Knoxville was drawing about 6,000 a show, and all the other cities were on fire as well. So as an example of not having to recruit, Joe LaDuke called us. He contacted us. So, you know, uh, I wasn't out there actually having to recruit anybody, so I wasn't having to deal with many problems. If someone gets in touch with you, they obviously want to work for you, no matter what your daddy did or what your granddaddy did. And the territories uh, that were having to recruit uh, back in those days, they weren't doing well. You know, uh, luckily we were not in that boat. And even if my father and my grandfather had to have had problems with some wrestlers that uh, did or did not want to come, it it was always amazing to me how big payoffs and great weeks can make a wrestler forget. Passed real fast,
0: man. I bet. (laughs)
1: bet. (laughs) So thanks for your question, Steve, but I guess that's the best way I can put it, man. Uh, If they had a problem, they forgot it very fast, man. (laughs) Oh, no doubt. All
0: right, so you knocked it out of the park this week, or should we say the Coliseum, on Facebook. Studcast fans, you can still become friends with Ron on two out of his three Facebook pages. Simply follow him on either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page, or author Ron Fuller Welch page. Either or both, follow him there and become friends with a legend. On Twitter and Instagram, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. Super Studcast number 41 with Arn Anderson. Absolutely awesome. Fans around the world rave about his stories. From being nine years old with a mask on, trying to choke out his best friend, to Southeastern days. First meeting ever with Booker Dusty Rhodes and Gonna get over. Inventing the four horsemen name and the end of his career with his neck operation. So painful, he considered ending it all. Find out why these super studcaster are called the best deal in wrestling at Tnstud.com or Patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only two ninety-nine. Voted best old school DVDs, Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition five pack is still the best of old school wrestling. Sixty seven matches, twelve hours. Own your piece of pure wrestling history at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only thirty nine ninety nine with free shipping. Hundreds of five star ratings on these DVDs. You got to have them for your collection. If you're a true stud fan, you've got to have. Brutus, Ron's first ever novel. If you love his stud cast stories, Brutus is gonna blow your mind. It has fifty-five star ratings on Amazon, with many saying it's the next Jaws. Get it at Amazon.com. Brutus novel is the keyword or the special. Stud's autograph copy at Tnstud.com. Click on Stud Store and get it there. The book is only nineteen ninety-nine. The autograph copy. $29.99, and both are free shipping. So where do we ride next, StudCast, Ron?
1: Well, today's training uh, in the next StudCast is going to, I think we're going to try to teach fans why sometimes the best angle is one that's a complete surprise. Uh, And I guess we got a little bit of that in this show, actually. But, uh, you know, we're going to discuss how that sometimes it's invaluable as a booker to just bring something crazy out to fans and uh, that's something they never expected. We're going to talk about the next stud cast card, uh, which is going to be uh, as a result of what happened in this crazy tag match in this stud cast. Uh, What's going to happen is obviously uh, the belts are going to be held up. They've got two partners that are, aren't going to be partners anymore. So we're going to have a one night tag team tournament. That's going to crown the new Southeastern champions after the official split between the former champions of Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles. Teams in this huge tournament are going to be the fabulous Kangaroos, the AWA champions, the Southern champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson, the former Georgia champions, Bob Armstrong and my brother Rob, the former Mid-American champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., and a brand new team of Tony Charles and guess who? <laughs> <are two>. Yep. <laughs> so, and and, and then we're going to have a, in next week with another great learning to question about the strength of cards on one night tournaments, which uh, that's what we happen to have. And uh, had a question from someone about uh, how strong are these cards when you have one night tournaments, and so mm-hmm. we're going to talk about uh, that. Wow. Okay.
0: So after this tremendous stud cast, I can't wait to find out who's going to win that big one night Southeastern tag tournament for the belt. I mean, again, you've got us hooked, hooked. Ron, what can I say?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, that's the way it ought to be, man. Uh, gosh, uh, that means I maybe did a pretty, I was doing a pretty good job back in those days. So, uh, you know, I want to thank all those fans out there that have already gone to the new uh, YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, and subscribed and rung the bell. Really, really pleased with the response. And if you haven't gone there, uh, please do. You know, it's it's going to be a very special place to ride with me, man, every day, this uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it's got such a great future ahead of it. Uh, give, be patient. Uh, give us a while to get up all the content that's going to have to be put on there. But. uh it's going to be an amazing place to go if you're if you're an old-time, old school wrestling fan. Thanks everybody, obviously, for listening and take care of yourselves and others. May God bless us all.
0: This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.